0: Quest episode 86, a Space Invaders
1: sequel. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now
0: to die, Earth
1: Scum! Oh no, Jim! It's those dang sequel questers again! We'll give what for! It's a podcast invasion of your ear space, muchacho. We'll then, quit yakking and start attacking! Welcome, members of the Martian Invasion Force and residents of Big Bean alike, to the first of two Halloween episodes of sequel quest this month. Yes, it's October, which means we're breaking out the tricks and treats to bring you fun-sized entertainment, the only way we know how. So, let me introduce you to the ragtag group of misfits on the mic tonight. First up, it's the man whose mom sewed of a duck costume, and you better believe he's going to keep that beak on as long as he can. <laughs> quack quack, Jeff. Yes,
2: yes, it is true.
1: Next, it's the man who's been singing, Mars, Mars is my home, for 72 hours straight. Howdy, Jeremy. Howdy. And reminding you that we're not really bad, just stupid. I'm Adam. (laughs) Joining us tonight is a gal who is not only an accomplished author, but a part-time sheriff's deputy that clocked us at 3,000 miles per hour, which is... 2,945 miles per hour in excess of the posted limit. Please welcome Commander Sue London. You could get the chair for this. (laughs) Oh, Sue, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me on. This is exciting.
1: A while back, quite a while back, actually, earlier in the year, there was a Twitter conversation with a guest of a few episodes of ours, C.T. from Nerd Lunch, and somehow in that exchange... Spaced invaders came up, and it just so happened that uh, Sue was keeping an eye out for those two words (laughs) being brought together on the internet, and she chimed in saying, You know, I have a manuscript lying around for a sequel so you are an author yes i am how would you describe the genre of your literary universe
3: i'm published in primarily historical romance i write regency era which is sort of the british early 1800s era romance books but as is evident from all of my geek podcasting my history is actually all the nerdy stuff, all the sci-fi and the fantasy and the comics and all that stuff. So I confused everyone with my publishing history. <laughs>
1: so what you're saying, though, is there's no wisecracking Martians in your books, if we go look in there.
3: Uh, you might not find wisecracking Martians. Somebody did recently write to me and say, is this an Avengers reference? And I said, yes.
1: All right. So you can dig deep and find the the Easter eggs. They're in there. This is one of those rare, obscure films that I feel like Jeff is actually brought up in conversation several times over the years, whether we've been planning, like, what should we do next? Or just relating this film to other films that I think it would surprise both my co-hosts here that I had not seen prior to this podcast and, frankly, did not care for. And we're going to get into that. But, Sue, you came to us with this. And and I was thinking, Jeff's going to be so happy. I'm not sure if he was so much happy as not against it.
2: <laughs> but here we
1: are. <laughs> but why for you, Sue? What what is it about this film that caused you to wanna to continue the adventure?
3: Um, we actually watch this film every Halloween. As a tradition, we saw it first in the theater back in 1990, but I remember one of our friends, a friend who'd recommended the movie, got a hold of a DVD and had a Halloween party, so that was one of the early ones when we started getting into the watching it every year. So we have it in VHS, we have it in DVD, we have it on demand Wow. <laughs> not that it's the only movie we have in all of those formats and all of those ways. But for me, it's just, it's 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 an incredibly fun movie. It is cleverly deep, but I don't know if you went out and read any of the reviews that came out at the time.
1: I read and watched Siskel and Ebert's reviews. Uh, they were not favorable. <laughs> I, lo- I looked it
3: up earlier and I sat down. The film Roger Ebert described as, quote, almost appallingly unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: on the show you know, uh, they actually said this is for very 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 young children <laughs> 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 how young ah uh, well you know so yeah they couldn't quite put their finger on who this was for but we're about to find out jeff like i said you've expressed a fondness for spaced invaders from 1990 Tell me a little bit about why that. Well, is.
2: a familiarity rather than... <laughs> I mean, this is definitely like... And I was, it was funny because, yeah, my, my wife had never seen this before. So Judy and I watched it last night. And she was like, is this for, like, five-year-olds? And it's like, no, <laughs> well, you know... Because, like, for me, kind of a similar story where it was one of those movies that I kind of grew up with because there are very few child-appropriate Halloween movies. So there was kind of this block, and I don't know if it was on... Probably wasn't on the Disney Channel, because this wasn't a Disney movie, I don't think, but... Well, it's Touchstone. And oh, I maybe, okay. Would, that,
1: yeah, that was a Disney.
2: Because I felt like you would have Spaced Invaders, Hocus Pocus, and then you'd have a handful of Disney cartoons in between. And, like, every single Halloween, that was the thing that you watch. And especially being a movie fan, you know, we kind of did watch it again and again, and if you watch it when you're a kid, you get it. You don't get he's doing a Jack Nicholson impression, you don't get some of those things, you don't get a horrible impression of Randy the Macho Man, but the humor is very child humor, and so it, I think it works on that level, and so the biggest thing for me was, especially if you go back and you listen, what, what's it been two years ago that we did the uh, War of the Worlds podcast, is that this was my connection to War of the Worlds, because I well, actually, as a kid, of course, I had never heard of War of the Worlds. I remember I did a book report on it when I was in seventh grade, but... The whole thing that it was actually like the history behind it, that it was a radio broadcast. I knew that because of this movie, because this movie uses that as its tipping off point. So that's usually where it has come up, I think, especially on our podcast is in reference to that.
1: You
3: guys are making me feel bad. I just did the math. I was 19. My husband was 22 and the guy who recommended it was 26. (laughs) (laughs)
1: and uh jeremy i'm assuming this was your first interest or exposure Uh,
0: yes watching it in full i remember like the alien design but i can't remember watching the whole thing ever
1: I feel like the thing that sold this movie to anybody was the VHS cover or the movie poster. It's a beautifully painted image of the five Martians riding on top of a rocket. Uh, I don't know if that's some sort of reference to Dr. Strange Love or not. (laughs) But that being said, I never rented it and I don't even remember the movie coming out. And I was pretty focused on every movie that was coming out basically 89 to 95. I was really, you know, a a movie obsessed kid. But it was just a mainstay of video. Or shelves and so i picked up a copy last year on vhs because i said i want to see this i want to find out what it's about it's been a mystery to me all this time and i didn't make it past the 20 minute mark wow tried to watch it and um it's not a terrible movie but it's one of those things where i looked at it and i said this is my hot take this feels like a failed Ernest script if you dropped Ernest p warrell into this universe he would fit just fine I mean, I could pull out with some of the characters even. I mean, especially the Deputy Russell, right, is his name. I love him, but he f- reminds me of the fat guy from the Ernest movies that with his brother Bobby... Who was always like kind of the blustery, I'm in charge here. Let me tell you, bossing people around, but really kind of a, a cream puff type of guy. I was like, that's like the exact model for you know all of Ernest's cohorts. We got some kids out there that are mixing it up. So anyway, I I, I would I almost regret having not added Ernest to my pitch.
2: <laughs> wow, Sue, I want to personally apologize, and listeners, I have known Adam for I don't know how many years, <laughs> and I still have absolutely. We did a podcast on Supergirl, on Xanadu, on all this. And he spouts off about just how spectacular these movies are. And then you get virtually the same thing, man. Like... You're telling me Supergirl is that much better than this? No, I, I don't know anymore. I really don't know anymore.
1: <laughs> this is a, a madcap cartoon come to life, and I can't make heads or tails of it.
2: And yet you followed Supergirl?
1: <laughs> well, the international cut makes more the sense. The international cut. I, I do want to pick this movie apart a little bit more, because I, I think there's some things to be said for it, and the cast and things like that. But Jeremy, can you give us just a basic rundown of who is involved in bringing this film to us
0: Brought to us by the director Patrick Reed Johnson, starring Douglas Barr, Royal Dano, Greg Berger, and Ariana Richards. Wasn't she in Jurassic
1: Park? That she was. Ah, yes. uh-huh. she's the biggest star to come out of this thing. <laughs> Trimmer. I mean, that's the thing when you when you dig into the cast, it's it's literally a cast of unknowns for the most part. I mean, it's not to say they weren't working actors, but you don't hold them up and say, "Oh yeah, Royal Dano." I mean, some people do, <laughs> I'm sure, because he worked a lot. <laughs> if you look it's at his IMDb so page, he was around. But like Ariana Richards, she receives an and introducing Ariana Richards credit. this is her fifth film really i mean she was in i'm gonna get you sucka the wayans film she's in that christmas reindeer movie prancer like sue said "Trevors." she's in this weird movie called face of the enemy is like a voiceover thing and then lex and jurassic park is what we all remember her from but it's odd that like this is the movie that they thought they were bringing her to the world in spaced invaders which i will say she's a bright spot of the movie just wish she had more to do. But do you guys know Patrick Reed Johnson?
3: Yes. I mean, not
1: personally. <laughs> would you like to? <laughs> I
3: emailed him once to tell him how much I love this movie, but he never wrote me back. That. that is not shocking.
1: Did <laughs> you think it was a joke? That would be, I don't know. That's possible. I mean, because he's the creative mind behind the Dennis Quaid-Sean Connery joint Dragonheart? Yep. Anybody? I, I am, am the last one. one. He directed the John Hughes scripted Baby's Day Out? Mm. and the 90s high school fat kid film Angus that spoke to me that <laughs> film which actually also started older Ariana Richards and it features a song on the soundtrack by my favorite indie punk band Smoking Popes. Oh. new album out October 12th if you're interested <laughs> anybody I'm counting the days down so Sue is there for you a favorite character in this film
3: I love all the characters I probably have a soft spot for Brian, and I want to bring him back. We'll talk about that later.
1: The duck. Yeah.
3: (laughs) You never mess with the Frisbee champion. (laughs) I mean, really, they sort of recognize the first 50 or 60 years of science fiction from H.G. Wells up into the corny B-movies of the 50s. All of that is sort of reflected in the movie. So I love all the stereotypes and all the characters. I wouldn't get rid of anybody. I'd say that.
1: Okay. Uh, how about for you, Jeff? Is there someone that you connected to on this watch? Yeah, what's his name? The duck is is the rock star man. Yeah, and he
2: kept that <laughs> beak on longer than anyone would have thought possible, and I salute him for that. And and yet he still talked like Daffy Duck, which was which was awesome and maybe not intentional. But like I think as a kid, it was Vernbot, the Zorro
3: Vern-Zoid.
2: Vernzo- yeah, Vernzoi creeped oh, Vernzoi, me out because yeah. yeah, dressed in black and I thought he was demonic or something like that. But no, the what's his name that, that stays with the ship? That's um Blasny?
1: Sue, you gotta help pilot. us here.
2: Well, I guess he's the pilot. Well, he's wearing pilot. the bomber jacket. Yeah, yeah. He was always my favorite character. Again, didn't get the fact like the accent thing, but he just had some of the best lines. He was the most likable. The other aliens, like, we kinda laugh at them but they're trying to kill people the entire time. They're not friendly, even up until the end. It's not like they get to a point of saying, like, oh, no, we love you. No, but the pilot guy is like, hey, let me help you out here, man. And he's your buddy. And so I'm like, I'd like to be his friend.
1: Very nice. Jeremy, how about for you?
2: That's really the one that sticks
0: out to me, having watched it. He was the only real remarkable character of sorts like the the general was very funny but he died and came back was hit by a car i mean (laughs) and that's
1: captain bipto yes yes came out of nowhere
3: and took captain bipto to his doom
1: exactly Now, for me, I mean, I'm a sucker for character actors in general, and there are a lot of them in this movie. Pretty much everybody, you know, is a type. But the one for me is just because he literally has one line and then changes it up once. And I believe that his credit on IMDb is stupid guy. uh, (laughs) What the hell is that? That That guy? That's
2: pretty good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he is great. I mean, he's just got that face (laughs) the whole time, and then it's just that voice comes out. What the hell is that? you know, so I think he he was the superstar for me as far as getting a laugh every time. Was that
0: the dude with the mustache?
1: Yeah. And the oh, okay. and like a yeah. pirate outfit, I think. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I think it's interesting is like the star of the film, I think, is supposed to be the Martians. I, I think we're supposed to connect to them. And behind the mask, just some of the people, I mean, you have a, an Ewok there you know so Mm -hmm. that that's important i mean there's only so many little people films right you got people from willow you got people from garbage pail kids the movie go back to the archives (laughs) yes we've done a sequel to that film so you've got got a lot of those actors then they had voice actors working behind the scenes and one of them for me is uh, a guy named joe alasky for anybody knows joe alasky i know him from the syndicated television show out of this world he was Uncle Bino. <laughs> <laughs> so I see his name in there. I'm like, there's a star. That's, that's <laughs> so I know my taste is, is suspect. <laughs> and Sue, I didn't mean for us to be ambushing you. We want to celebrate this film. You love this film. That is good. That is a good thing. Because I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like I said, to me, I have a hard time staying on track with it. Because it seems like the premise of the film is that, okay, the Martians mistake a broadcast of the Orson Welles' War of the Worlds as basically an invitation. The invasion's already begun, so they're going to come down to Earth and they're going to take care of that. But they are outnumbered, so really they're not the threat. Everybody around them is a threat to them. But then we we get the whole story with Kathy, the daughter of the new sheriff, and you get Mr. Reggmuller who's going to get his farm taken away. And there's all these other things going on. And I don't ever feel like they're like the linear story is the aliens want to go home, but there's a drone that's going to kill them. Right. Cause they basically failed at their mission. Am I understanding that right? Sue? Yes. Well, see, isn't
2: that – I felt like most of the plot is they're trying to join what they perceive as the battle against Earth. And they only want to go home kind of at the second half of the movie, though.
1: Well, once they figure it out. Right, yeah, right, right. But, but once most of the realize, time they're in yeah. the dark.
2: That's kind of the big turning point is when they realize that they're not actually attacking this planet. But I think it
1: goes back to the point that you brought up, Jeff. And again, maybe I miss this. But you said, and it is Blasney's the pilot, yes, right, Sue? So, that is correct. So he sort of helps, but I don't feel like the Martians help anybody by the end. You expect from a family movie that they're going to help the old man get his farm back, and basically all he does at the end is stick it to the jerky banker. You know, he, like, does a prank on him or whatever, but does that save the day? Like, how does Kathy's story and life get better because she met them it doesn't they have no impact and i think that's where i found nothing to connect to because i'm like who's helping who what's really getting better for anybody other than the aliens don't get killed they get to go home but i couldn't keep them straight to begin with so i never really connect with them is, is my struggle with this movie
3: so you're looking for who is the hero who is the hero
1: or who being helped by somebody that does an altruistic thing?
3: Then I, I think that who you're looking to identify with is Kathy.
1: Yeah, I think I'd agree. Because, Adam, personally, I feel like
2: you have a mistaken view. I don't think this is the the E.T. story. I don't think this is aliens that got lost and they desperately want to go home. And like these, this poor girl finds them, befriends them, and helps them go home. I don't think this is the story. I think they show up trying to conquer earth, spend at least half, if not more of the movie trying to attack earth, even after they realize it's fake, they threaten to blow up the entire planet. And then it's once their thing malfunctions and they see the droid, then they actually try and escape. So I don't think it's about everyone trying to help them escape because these poor guys, that's kind of how it ends, but that I don't think that's the main thrust of the they, movie.
3: No, and, and they need the Martians to leave so that the Martians don't blow up the earth.
2: Right. Yeah, that's right, because they're ship. yeah.
3: And the outcome of something positive for the Renschmuller farm was sort of incidental and
2: comedic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) They had so much waste in their toilet. I don't understand Martians, man. (laughs) That was
1: a lot that's right that final shot I did not make that connection at all until you guys just Uh-oh. said that I was just like why are they going out on a shot of a field I don't get it okay <laughs> need to pay closer attention I guess to the poop jokes <laughs> But yeah, so what about bit-wise? Because, I mean, this film is definitely going, I mean, it's humor, 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 it's pop culture reference, it's, it's you know, one thing after the other, it's pretty nonstop. stop So for you guys, is there a particular bit or running gag or something that just stands out to you? You're like, you know what, this is pretty clever.
3: I, I mean, I think obviously, you know, the whole Blosney thing is entertaining and that he sort of has this... I mean, even any of the Martians having this um, American pop culture aspect to them, you're like, why would they have American pop culture references? Um, the, the the accent and the aviator shades and, you know, the leather jacket, all that stuff. That underlying sort of bit of them being relatable, looking American, in their garb at least, was very entertaining and constantly touched on. And I love that they kept coming back to the War of the Worlds and kind of how Mm-hmm. that worked with the the plot of the movie, both as a tease about what brought in these idiot Martians. <laughs> Thematically, you could be like, oh, you know, they were being idiots, but wouldn't we be idiots, too? So those are a couple of things that kind of stand out to me.
2: Jeff? Well, it's funny, that, and and I think I mentioned this before, maybe with our Ghostbusters episode, is that for some reason or another, I don't and I don't know why, but I've always had an issue with mind control. That always freaks me out. So again, that was maybe like so many things came into play why Verndroid just like freaked me out. But as an adult, that's the part that I think I appreciate the most. His over-the-top, heroic whatever, especially because when we first see him, he's not even stereotypical, just over-the-top, nerdy, high-pitched, squeaky voice, like everything. And then he turns into, you know, like Captain America. and He builds the big old thing. And then at the end, even his little eye contact with the mummy woman and stuff like that. Like, I, I enjoyed that as an adult, but as a kid, like, my favorite, which is funny, too, because now as an adult, i just groan. But the whole thing, Mr. Wrenchmuller giving the droid, the dynamite, as an award. Like, as a kid, I was like, that's so great! How do you not know it's a dynamite? Oh! (laughs) You blew up, you fool. I love that.
1: (laughs) Jeremy, how about for you? Did somebody give you a chuckle along the way?
0: It was mainly just how nobody spoke an alien language, and they all spoke uh-huh. English.
1: I think for me, the one moment that I would go back to and watch this over and over again, and it, it cracks me up, is Patricia Darbo as the mom with the station wagon, yeah. who's like getting everybody together and taking them out. She's an actress that I love. She, I think, she gets confused with Edie McClurg a lot, with like kind of a you know, rotund '80s red-haired lady um but she was in some like troop beverly hills and saved by the bell and she she's just always has these little bit parts where she's more like the perky red-haired lady i love her attitude in this and how she's just like you know really giving it to the aliens with all their sass back you know (laughs) like she's not taking it because that's where you really get everybody together for the first time interacting you got kathy you got brian you got the trio that are on their own and the one character that i feel like is underserved as it comes to aliens is pez he's the little guy right sue
3: yes that's Pez. i did not
1: <laughs> <laughs> is he just supposed to as his characteristic being the young one is that basically yeah. it okay because so i was like you got the you got the one with the european accent which i guess is dr ziploc oh, yeah. right mm-hmm. and then you got the guy who wants to kill everybody was it giggy wiggy what's his Gigi-Wing. name <laughs> Giggly-wiggly? Giggly-wig. giggly
0: Lieutenant
3: Giggly-wig. ah, you're a scum. Put that on your tombstone.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I could point out one more moment again, because I, I don't want to be totally negative about this. I do like what, you know, Jeff, you pointed out, the, you know, Hulk Hogan slash Macho Man Randy Savage uh, imitation. Yeah, I guess he's got the Hulk mustache, doesn't he? Cigarettes! exactly that moment is great he's like then fine (laughs) he shuts the door (laughs) on him (laughs) but yeah this movie basically ends they get away they head up into space life seems to be good i guess so that is the question that is where do you take it after this crazy halloween night what is the next step where do you pick up what characters do they encounter is it another earthbound mission is it in space where do we go so sue it's finally time to unveil it take it away
3: time has passed Two of the characters that i know how i would like to cast them i know i'm going to bring back brian and kathy so brian i would like to cast anthony mackie so just get him in your head in case Mm -hmm. you don't remember him we got falcon from the avengers and kathy if we can't get ariana back because now she's into the art thing Uh, maybe either Amanda Seyfried or maybe uh, Anna Kendrick. My husband's really advocating for Anna Kendrick. So I wanted to call it Space Invaders 2 Back to Big Bean. So I am bringing it back to Earth. My plot outline is that Brian stayed in Big Bean, but Kathy moved to California to pursue her special effects dreams. We open with the Martian ship crashing back into the Mueller barn and an enforcer drone flying out. But it turns out that this is just our little friend drone who has grown up. He starts playing audio of their old conversations and flashing Kathy's picture, so Brian knows he needs to find her and bring her back. He goes to Vern, who's now an eccentric multimillionaire and paranoid about the government finding out about his alien technology. They track down Kathy via IMDb, and it turns out she's doing effects for a movie filming not too far away. So Brian calls her and talks her into coming back to town, and Vern offers to hide the drone and ship while they wait for Kathy, but we quickly get insight that he has some nefarious plans for the alien technology. The rest of the Martian crew did come along for the ride, since they're the only ones who really care about the Earth. And there have been some promotions, retirements, and one unfortunate death because something really did come and take Captain Bipto to his doom. There's probably room for a new Martian there. So, you know, the whole next generation kind of concept. It turns out that our Martian friends came to warn us because Martian Imperial Navy has interpreted Earth's recent actions as a threat. We seem to be sending them a car bomb. This is where we crack some jokes about Elon Musk being a supervillain. We see that Vern is struggling with wanting to become either Musk or Bezos himself with a line like, why should he make it space first? I'm made for space. And in terms of H.G. Wall references, we'd have Vern playing out a Joseph Davis-type character from Star Begotten, where part of his paranoia is worrying whether his genetics were affected so that he and or his children were being created to live on Mars. So in terms of backgrounds on this, Brian took over the Mueller farm, and that gives us uh, an in on touching all the current farm issues, because that's one of the things that was underlying the original, is we had that whole farmer versus business thing when the movie opens we see that the enriched soil is getting out and they can't deliver those big beans anymore so he's having stress over that klembecker of course has become a senator <laughs> one of the subplots is that brian perhaps has gotten sick of him and is running against him so that might be a subplot going on so we'd have mm-hmm. some of the politics there obviously because i'm a romance writer i want to finally get kathy and brian together because i've always thought that had to happen and I'm going to be needing at least twice as much Martian jazz. So I don't know if David Russo wrote all of that or not. If he did, bring him back. And obviously we need some more Frisbee. So I have some scenes and things written out that encapsulates the concept.
1: All right, good. All right, Jeff, how about you?
2: Excellent. I would also need to follow up on another unsung hero, T.W. Uh, that <laughs> he moved into a new town after the disgrace in his old town. So he moves in and he's opening up a chain of superstores. And these superstores are running these mom and pop stores out of business. And of course, he delights in that, in causing them trouble and they're all going out of business and he's just making more money and, and enjoying that. When, all of a sudden, our friend Vern Pillsbury, Vern Droid, shows up, but now he believes he is a superhero because he has still been conditioned by the clamp thing on the back of his neck. So he shows up, and since he thinks he's a superhero, he ends up fighting the villain that he perceives T.W. Klembecker to be. So my feeling was, we didn't really see how great a hero he would be. I kind of feel like he would do some things well and some things very, very poorly, so that's where we get some of the comedy as he's trying to be a hero and failing miserably. So at some point, as one of his missions or whatever has failed, Captain Bipto communicates him and says that, you know, hey, I forgot to deprogram you. So I'm coming back to remove your programming, et cetera, et cetera. So he comes back with the crew to bring back. Uh, Verndroid or deprogram him, but Verndroid convinces him that the people of Earth need their support because the evil villain needs to be defeated. So all the Martians decide to get together to uh, defeat Klembecker, which culminates in a horrible plan that ends up going wrong. But nonetheless, Klembecker is somehow defeated, and as he is defeated, Vipto decides to deprogram Verne, returning him to his ordinary life, but decides instead to program Clembecker and takes Clembecker with him as his new servant because Clembecker, having much less morality and much less scruples, is an even deadlier weapon in the hands of the Martians as they fly back to torture the uh, Arcturans. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like mine is the most fleshed out and yet I'm not the biggest fan of the film. So <laughs> this is going to be Underprite. really interesting. My film is called Spaced Invaders 2 Martian Mashup. Taking place 20 years after the original, a grown-up Kathy, played by Ariana Richards, has been training as part of the crew of the Orion Spacecraft, a NASA project that will take humans to Mars. And though she is clearly the most qualified, Kathy has been passed over for the captain's chair by Commander Dirk Reynolds, a pompous career astronaut who also happens to be her unfaithful ex-husband during her years at nasa kathy has kept quiet about her connection to the martian visitation of big bean illinois during her childhood because after her dad became a sheriff in florida she was saddled with the nickname of the martian queen during high school when she accidentally let slip that she had had an actual alien encounter she has kept the martian communicator all these years and packs it with her equipment for the Mars Expedition. As the chief engineer on the crew, Kathy tries to point out a bug in the system that could inhibit the booster detachment mechanism from operating correctly, but the glory-seeking Commander Reynolds decides to ignore her concerns so as to not to delay the historic launch and press coverage. Also a log for the writer: Hunter Jones, a teenage prodigy who acts as the communications specialist, and Carly Ziegler, an attractive botanist who also happens to be in a relationship with the commander and is snooty to Kathy. On their journey, the crew are contacted by General Lasky, a hearted war vet who believes in life on other planets and assures them that he has a nuke pointed at Mars, ready to annihilate the red planet should they encounter any hostility or go out of communication for more than 12 hours. Reynolds laughs him off, but Kathy can tell the general's like a powder keg ready to blow, likely to start an interplanetary war at the slightest provocation. As Kathy predicted, once they get in view of Mars, the final booster fails to detach, and the added weight threatens to deplete the ship's fuel supplies, leaving them unable to return to Earth not only that the orion crew are attacked and boarded by what kathy assumes is the martian military but these aliens look nothing like the martians she befriended in big bean these creatures have eyes that bulge out from skull-like faces and their large craniums appear to be more like brains these attacking martians honk like ducks as they take the crew hostage while kathy stows away in a hidden compartment on the ship and tries to radio one of her friends on the communicator we see blasny seducing a buxom martian woman in his apartment when the call comes in but his lady friend storms out when kathy's voice is heard on the other end assuming the martian lothario is cheating on her kathy explains her situation as blasney spots her ship through a telescope we see he uses more often for spying on his neighbors he tells kathy to hang tight as he gets dressed and hustles across town and in the meantime we get a look at the martian capital city and all the wackiness there kind of like you know howard the duck you know you're gonna get duck world and all that so blasney calls dr ziploc and asks to borrow his experimental rocket car which ziploc agrees to only if he could supervise given how things turned out on their failed mission to earth all those years ago, and the the attacking Martians leave the ship with their three prisoners just as Blasny and Ziploc arrive, crashing clumsily into the side of the Orion spacecraft, but only denting it. Once reunited, Blasny explains that the aliens who attack the shuttle are nicknamed Ak-Aks, or Ak-Holes, by the Martian populace. They are a small group of radicals who use the old Martian language and ideology of annihilating all other races. But their numbers have been growing lately. When Kathy explains that the Earth military is likely to start a war, if they don't get confirmation of a safe arrival from Commander Reynolds in now eight hours, Blasny and Ziploc agree to help rescue the crew. Kathy asks if Captain Bipto can help get the Martian military in on the mission, but Blasny explains that he kind of burnt that bridge when he accidentally blew up the Army's weapons silo several years back, so they're on their own for this mission. Dr. Ziploc outfits Kathy with a Martian disguise so she can move around the city undetected as they collect supplies and allies. They find Gigiwig running an ultimate fighting championship style tournament with a giant champion named Marv, who wears a gladiator helmet that obscures his features and he talks with a nasally voice. After accidentally falling into the ring, Blasny has to fight Marv and cleverly wins the battle, becoming champion and earning Marv's allegiance. Meanwhile, we see the ak creepily putting Dirk and Carly into half habitats in an attempt to try to get them to mate which is pretty awkward their captors attempt to create romantic scenarios like a 70s disco with puppies running wild a jacuzzi full of chocolate sauce with pricking roses constantly raining down on top of them and a candlelit dinner with a main course of gold chain spaghetti which the couple are forced to ingest when carly grabs her stomach in pain they assume she was successfully impregnated and run her off to an even more horrifying delivery room. Hunter, on the other hand, is being taught the Martian language, but each time he fails to properly pronounce his axe, a limb is surgically removed and replaced with the appendage of a different animal. So the rescue group eventually makes it to the Akak ship, and they rescue the frazzled Orion crew in whatever state they're in. And Marv is there to splat the Akak forces in, just so they can make it back to the Orion. Commander Reynolds is about ready to give the confirmation of a safe landing with just minutes to spare but they're being attacked by the ackhole spaceships and so kathy is fighting them off with the mechanical arm of the shuttle and swatting them and doing what she can to save the day and give him time but commander reynolds is knocked unconscious once the 12 hours is up and so general lasky launches the nuke no so then they have to you know do some shenanigans they got to get away they couldn't get home i was debating the ending because honestly i wanted to give it just a they actually destroy mars so now the Mars surviving martians have to go live on earth with kathy and that's kind of the ending it's kind of bleak but i feel like in this universe you could do that you could blow up an entire planet and they would just make a wacky quip and you'd be okay with it so there you have it Space Invaders to Martian Bash-Up.
3: I like it. 13 of 10 would watch. <laughs>
1: Very nice. All
0: right. We've heard the pitches. Now time to debate this with
2: the vote. Jeff, where do you sit? Hmm. I kind of like, Adam, your switcheroo of having the humans visit Mars, but... I I don't know. For me, especially when you started talking about someone chopping off their limbs and having them reattached, it was getting a little dark and creepy for me. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would have to go with Sue because I do like especially because if for no other reason, then I do definitely think Kathy would pursue her career in special effects. And so that's a big, that's a big win right there. And to see where that goes and to put, yeah, the two characters together and to catch
1: up with them, I'm I, I'm, I'm going to go there. All right, Adam. Well, I think it's one of those things where, you know, everything kind of stayed earth-based. Jeff, you know, getting back with Clem Becker, I understand where you're going there because he's, he's very entertaining, but at the same time, it almost felt like, rehashing a little bit of the same territory of the first film so i i think i have to vote for sue just because it feels like we're in a place like you were saying where we we want to catch up and we want to see those continuing adventures and so sue you get my vote
0: all right sue who gets your vote
3: um well that's a tough one but i was raised in an era when you vote for your, your competition (laughs) <laughs> so i will have to give my vote to martian mashup it Hello. did go someplace i completely wasn't expecting but i did enjoy that journey and i thought it was very entertaining i like the idea i i do kind of want to see kathy go do her special effects but it's the sort of thing where if i were to go to this movie i'd be like no that that's fun too i like this idea that she stayed in touch it was actually one of the challenges we had we were talking about with mine was If she had that communication box, like, so what was happening there? And so we decided that feds had to have come and taken it away. So she wasn't in touch and they had to come find her um so yeah the idea that she stays up keeps up with that and she goes off to mars and we have these adventures on mars i also am not sure whether or not you'd want to blow up mars but i agree that Uh. that's the sort of thing you could do in this universe and it'd be like you know then they're just sitting in the desert you know talking about how mars is their home singing their little song prepare
1: to die martian scum (laughs) (laughs) jeremy how about you
0: you know, you have to keep it within universe, and it was very kid-friendly, the first one. So, Adam, you're not my vote. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to stick with Sue and see if we can flesh out any, uh, any weak points there.
1: All right. Well, that's good. I think well-deserved and well-earned. So the question is that I start with, you're saying Kathy is in special effects, probably working with her uncle I feel like you have to have the Goofy uncle character who's like an old man now that is kind of like her mentor. Are you up for that? Cuz we need an old crazy. That's <laughs> what I feel like.
3: Okay, I'm I'm writing that down so the Goofy uncle becomes the the wise old man instead of fringe Muller.
1: Yeah. And then remind me the the main conflict again. I know I was searching for this with the original film. So if you if you had to distill the main conflict,
3: the main conflict in this one is that the Martians have yet again made an idiot decision, and they've decided that since Elon Musk launched a Tesla at them, that that was an attack. Okay. And yes. so the. Friends of Earth come to say, guys, we need to do something because the whole Martian military complex is about to turn their attention to Earth when they never really cared about you before. So we have to stop that from happening. So in in my mind, I have this vision of, you know, that Vern can then satisfy his beating Musk and Bezos to space by going up and, and getting the Tesla off of its course of heading towards Mars.
1: Okay, so we have that element. So my question is then, how can Kathy's special effects work? play into that Mm. part those are the details i feel like we really got to figure out because we know there's going to be a lot of wackiness there's going to be a lot of one-liners you know from all our favorite martians and a few of the the newer ones but what does kathy bring to the table to help with this then Mm. because you know we got kathy we got brian but I feel like the special effects, there has to be a good couple of gags in there. Almost like MacGyver-esque or something that she's like grabbing bits and pieces from their spaceship. Oh, if we put this together, we can do this. She makes the donut of destruction look like it actually works, even though it fails again or something like that.
0: Now, if we dipped into the comic universe, we do have an example of a special effects artist in Mysterio. So maybe she's gone a little parlor trick with her... Skills, and maybe that's how they sneak in in order to divert or distract.
1: Well, I, I think it'd be awesome because, again, you know, the original film, Sue mentioned how it really drew on like the early days of sci-fi up to the 50s i like the idea that maybe kathy is into the classic special effects so it's not just cgi like her whole thing is i love practical effects but maybe she also deals in things like matte paintings so i i'm imagining a, a scenario where they're up there and they unveil, like, this giant map painting in space. It's almost like a wily e. Coyote, you know, like, painting the fake tunnel type thing. They attach it to an asteroid. I don't know, something along those lines. What lens. if
2: we did, like, because
1: especially since the first
2: one played off of War of the Worlds, and them getting deceived by this radio broadcast, what if we play off that old rumor that the moon landing was, was actually done on a soundstage, and so somehow she has to deceive them by doing that
1: same sort of the thing she could make them think they've landed on earth when they've really landed somewhere else
2: oh you know? yeah well I was thinking rather than actually happening like they intercept a video feed where she has to convince them that Earth actually is a superior military force or something like that. So she creates like an entire fake army or...
1: That would be hilarious if she just did Force Perspective. She had all these miniatures, all these models that are like hanging down on the windshield of the Martian spaceships, you know? And so it looks like there's like a million ships firing on them and that freaks them out as one distraction. Might be too low tech, but (laughs) I just feel like the, the movie's... You know, stock and trade is is goofy. I was going to say it can be very silly. So yeah, just... yeah. Now, what about with Vern's amateur astronaut? stuff. Did you say he's the one building a rocket ship or he's just going along with the Martians?
3: As we worked on this, we were talking about how it would only make sense that since he had access to alien technology and clearly he was a builder of things even before that, that he would take that opportunity to use that alien technology to make money uh, and to help big bean. And so he becomes sort of this benefactor of big bean, but he's also sort of gone in this strange direction, right? Where he's been affected by this situation he, he probably still has uh, some of the you know the technology in him. So he's gotten rich, he's gotten paranoid and he wants to be rich enough and paranoid enough to be competitive with Musk and Bezos on the whole space race thing because he feels like he's already met martians why isn't he the one
1: so if he's going to have an arc if he's going to have a story in there would it be that he somehow i i I don't want to say gives up on his dream but like is he gonna maybe not be so cutthroat about it or something because like he would sort of want the elon musk space station to get destroyed that would be better for him in a way right
3: well i feel like that's going to be that character's struggle is that in some ways you know that that thing where you can become what you hate so he still calls clembecker butthead so it's senator butthead and he (laughs) talks about how he would never give that man money you know it's like you could have clembecker in your pocket if you wanted to but he's like i'd never give him money but he has then in some ways evolved into being more like clembecker right He's got all this Mm -hmm. money, there's all these things he can influence, and that will be the character's struggle, is whether he realizes and when he realizes that he needs to stick to what he always thought was the right thing to do.
1: All right, Yes. And then, I guess, are we going to focus much on the, you know, the Martians that are on their way, or are they just going to be a distant threat, kind of like before, like the drone or whatever it was, I forget the official title. The
3: Enforcer Drone.
1: He, had frozen right. drone. He, he was kind of always in the background, but he wasn't like the main threat.
3: Well, as you were going through your pitch, it gave me some thoughts about, oh, you know, it might be good to flesh out some things on the version side. And In some ways, that also harkens back to really at least the opener for the first movie. And you maybe work it more in, later into the second movie where you do see pieces of the fleet and what they're doing and that sort of thing. So it, it would be certainly in style to continue to see things from that perspective as well
2: so are we bringing back the martians from the first movie and if so like are all of them on board with destroying earth or some of them on the human side and so we get some martians helping out the humans trying to to counteract it
3: i feel like at the very least from a hero perspective people are going to want to see blosney again Mm -hmm. and i'd like to see a pez but now he's like captain pez right because it, it, that whole concept of times past and people have gone into different stages of life, maybe maybe Pez convinces Blasney that he should come help on this mission. So really, you know, your air quotes good guy Martians would be Blasney uh-huh. Pez and the drone formerly known as short stuff, which it's hard to call an enforcer drone short stuff. Yeah, I feel like those at least... And then it becomes a question about whether or not to include the other ones. And if you do, like, does Gigi, is Gigiwig on the other side? Is he the one going, I've been telling you for years, you need to go blow them up. They're a problem.
2: Yeah, because that was the part that I, like, in my pitch, or I was somewhat confused about, is that at the end of the movie, uh, Vipto tells Vern that he is done, but it doesn't look like the programming shuts off. So right. this is programmed Vern that is still functioning with his new persona?
3: I guess. I feel like he probably... Sh- evolved back towards being more human oh okay when i when i think about but i i agree with like i was listening to your pitch i was like i agree with you that it could have left him in that place where he
1: could interpret himself as being something of a superhero <laughs> because he's got all these abilities so and i guess like i i'm trying to imagine the trailer now so I'm, I'm i'm thinking in my mind what is the big set piece again this isn't like necessarily a blockbuster summer franchise but at the same time, I mean, in, in the original movie, we got the silo full of popcorn, you know. <laughs> we got the dynamite blowing up the enforcer drone. We got some fun things here and there. You had the puddle-jumping spaceship, right. you know, that just couldn't quite get off the ground. I almost imagine, like I said, with, with the special effects that Kathy could put together, we talked about Earth culture and how that obviously is a big part of Martian I mean, society is seemingly, if, if all of them speak English and all of them have a characteristic that seems based in specifically American Earth culture for the most part, except for Dr. Ziploc being European. It's awfully green here. <laughs> <laughs> but is there like a, a pop culture point of reference that we want to pull out that maybe that's what they create? Like Jeff, you said the moon landing, but I don't know how important that would be to Martians so is there something maybe digging obviously the 80s are very popular Is so like you bring something out that then kathy can somehow present to them and then they're like you know oh it's it's mr belvedere you know they like they get advice from a giant mr belvedere you know like something weird like that that would get their attention and distract them long enough for Vern maybe to save the day and push the space station out of the direct path of mars or something so he could have his hero moment
0: could we do it on like taking jeff's idea could we take it as the anniversary of the moon landing and so it's being played all across the planet kinda of like the the cromulons of Futurama where they only watch Earth T V.
1: Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like so like they're they're getting these Earth broadcasts and they've they ended up abandoning their you know original culture to adopt ours so like i'm almost thinking is this just is it time for a william shatner cameo (laughs) if he comes in as kirk and he saves the day for them maybe that's like a side mission pez or somebody has to go down and find captain kirk they idolize him i mean it's it's something that's kind of been done similarly in in different degrees over the years you know Uh, but i'm just i'm thinking like something along those lines where if not Star Trek, is there a I mean, if we want to go obscure, just like this movie, we could go like Babylon five and go get Jeff's favorite actor.
3: Mm. <laughs> Which
1: one? Bruce Brox
3: Okay. Ironically, Vernzoid was also in
1: Babylon 5. Hey, do it! I'm surprised they're not petitions, Resurrect Babylon 5. You got all those brown coats for Firefly and all that, so why not? I'm almost
0: surprised that we've not brought up the one character that seems to have been missing from the original, that would fit in amongst all these aliens... Howard the Duck.
3: He kind of referenced Howard the Duck in his pitch.
1: Yeah, and a little bit of that. Like, my original concept was just a, a huge mashup. So, you know, I had my Marvin the Martian, I had my Mars Attacks aliens, but I wanted to get, like, a lot of different aliens in there. I was like, this is gonna might get a little too busy. But yeah, I mean, he's such a bold presence. If you bring Howard into this, it becomes Howard the Duck, too.
3: However, we do have a basis for a Duck reference. That's true. Yes. So in a way, it kind of becomes... Tom's a call you know, a back call to the previous
1: movie. <laughs> now you got me thinking about O'Brien's side mission. So does, does he get jettisoned out and end up on Duck World just for Duck a few world. scenes? <laughs> <laughs> He's explaining the situation, and, and Howard's not interested until Brian says, like, but it's the girl I love, <laughs> you know? And Howard's a, a, a romantic at heart. He's like, all right, guy, I'll help you out. He's like, I got a gal back. Oh, yeah, because he, he has the connection to Beverly, right? So he he has a a, a connection to Earth, so Howard might be there to, to help. I'm, j- I'm just wondering what he could possibly do to save the day. He's only got quack foo. What, el- what else does Howard have to offer?
3: Maybe he's the cultural icon that we need.
1: To... Oh, they love his music. They love his <laughs> albums. <laughs> yes, they're, they're big fans of Howard. I'm trying to remember his band's name now. Yeah, oh, yeah, Howard and the Heartbreakers, I'm almost certain. So yeah, they, they could love his old albums. Very popular throughout the galaxy. Howard comes out and plays a concert on the space station. I don't know. It would
2: at
3: I... least be a good distraction.
2: Yeah, but I feel like yeah, it's gonna turn into a Howard the Duck movie, which makes is either a plus or a negative after the last one.
1: I mean, because I guess there's the love story that we haven't touched on either. So, you know, I I mean, I, I assume that that uh, Brian's been holding a candle all these years for Kathy.
3: Right.
1: Is the only reason they're not together is just separated by a couple states and a couple years, and they just never
3: exactly. He, he stayed home to, you know, take care of Big Bean, and she went on to bigger things. It's the classic story. <laughs>
1: Tale of those times. <laughs> uh-huh. And now they
3: have their opportunity to see each other again, and, well, you know.
1: Yeah, and I guess like if, if we would see that as an act of fear, of not being willing to leave Big Bean or something, so now Brian can have his moment uh, to conquer fear and, be a hero, so maybe, maybe there is uh, you know a dangerous part of the distraction or you know the infiltration of the pursuing Martian forces.
3: You he mean where Kathy has to use all of her special effects makeup talents to make him look like Howard the Duck so that they will worship him?
1: There we go. Yes, we've done it. We've done it. We found it. <laughs> Again, Jeff, not actually Howard the Duck, just passing reference. Right. Yeah. And then he's there at the end. And whether or not we get Seth Green to do the voice, we'll see if Marvel can lend him out. It's like, look, if you're not making a movie, let us it's have It's Disney. It. Come on. They don't have a choice. It's, oh, that's it's, true. It's all
3: mouse, baby. Is.
1: Anything is possible in this day and age. Okay. Well, I think I think that is uh, I think that's a wrap. Then you get Howard the Duck in Space Invaders too to save the day, and we get a reprise of, of his classic tune. That last moment it warms their hearts. All is forgiven. They're able to explain the the situation. Was it wasn't an attack. It's just we're curious to explore, and then maybe an alliance is forged between Mars and earth. And that sets up space Invaders three. <laughs> Who knows where we take it from there. Mm-hmm. Who's, who's next to join the fray? I mean, I, I think a, an Ewoks crossover could be interesting as well, but we'll see. So anything else you guys want to add casting wise, I guess we brought up the crazy uncle, but then we didn't, we didn't really do much with them. I assume Kathy would just talk to him. He'd give her ideas.
3: I'm writing all this down so just so you know i'll i'll make sure you get credits if we ever saw this
1: there we go yes well i guess the biggest discussion we have to have now is practical costumes cgi martians in this day and age how do we feel about it go Isn't practical
2: that- oh if only venom looks like such a nightmare i'm sorry <laughs>
1: But he's meant to. No, but not in a good way. He looks
2: like a cartoon nightmare.
1: (laughs) Stay tuned for our sequel, Chad. Good
2: luck selling that to Disney. Disney loves their CGI.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like is is there a recent success with practical effects we could point to that would convince them otherwise? They did bring the practical Yoda back. Okay, so there's some precedent there.
2: Uh, what you call it, Jupiter Ascending. I mean, we saw how well that went. Well,
1: it's our most popular episode. It's it's true. It's It's true. It was a great movie. movie. Everyone loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yes. I mean, it it might be a tough sell. I I guess I feel like we can't feel too bad about motion capture. I mean, I don't know how many also because of CGI – how many little people actors are getting very much work these days, you know, like Peter Dinklage doesn't work in costume. You know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's just, you know, an on-screen actor. So I, I also makes me wonder how many people are trained in that in ready at the ready, you know, at this point to even take on those roles in costume. And outside of that director, I mean, are, are we just sticking with the same vibe or do we feel like there's somebody who can breathe new life into this and maybe make it a little more marketable than the first time out? I mean, maybe he doesn't have exactly the right sensibility, but I bet he could give us something because he's he's jumps around and he's on the Disney train. Is John Favreau? <laughs> I feel like John Favreau could give us a good Space Invaders. He did Zethura, you know.
2: Yeah, love him.
1: John Favreau spaced Invaders too. <laughs> uh,
2: you know who would be perfect for this? josh trank
1: <laughs> always the best choice for any movie we you ever beat do. jeremy to the punch <laughs> <laughs> i mean his would be a found footage Gosh. space Invaders too and the aliens would just be filming themselves and discovering uh, everything yeah
3: if you blow up both mars and earth who finds the footage
1: <laughs> <laughs> howard the duck <laughs> <laughs> i mean if you ever hit a blank spot insert howard the duck that's what we've learned from, the, from this episode Oh, all right. Well, Sue, again, thank you so much yeah. for thank being you. on the episode.
3: Thanks for watching my dumb movie. <laughs> yeah,
1: we're, we're, we're sorry if we dampened your spirits, but I'm sure when you pop it in this Halloween season and, and you feel the good vibes coming off, and I know you were watching it just before, so is there anywhere you would like to point our listeners? Where can they find you? Uh,
3: you can find me online at buysuelondon.com. Uh, You can also always find me on Twitter or probably anywhere else. You want to look up CMDRSUE, that's Commander Sue. Um, I am Starfleet retired, not Navy. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, you can find me almost anywhere out on the Internet. I'm all over the place.
1: And we should clarify for your your website, it's not by B-U-Y. You're not for sale currently.
3: That is is correct. Commander
1: Sue cannot be bought.
3: Commander Sue cannot be bought. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's B Y. S-U-E, L-O-N-D-O-N, by Sue London.
1: Jeff, where can they find you? Right here, baby. That's about it. <laughs> Sequel Quest, and starting in 2019, the Two Goofs podcast. Sure. We thank you all for listening to the preview episode. We got a great response. We hope that uh, in the months to come leading up to the launch that you will Be prepared. Tell your Disney-loving friends that they can get the inside scoop. Understand what it was like to be a costumed character and uh, the magic behind the scenes that we hope will enhance it all for you. So, again, stay tuned for two goofs. Jeremy, we never we never plug your other podcast. Tell the kids in case we have a few sports fans out there, what you do in your off time.
0: Well, we're kind of in the down period, but we're getting ready to do a wrap-up show here soon on the 2018 fantasy baseball season. Find us at fanfrontofficepodcast.com or search for us on anywhere you get your podcast, Fantasy Front Office. And you can follow me, if you're into fantasy baseball, on Twitter, at FrontOfficeJer, J-E-R.
1: Very nice, very nice. As always, you can find me over at RetroDays.org. It's just a fun clubhouse where you can enjoy nostalgia and share memories with people, write your own stories and post them. As you listen to this, the, the week of this release, on Saturday the 6th, it's a Halloween special uh, that they will put on in the Retro Days Theater. This Halloween special also features my alter ego, a, a heavy metal hair rocker named Mel Zorro. Ooh. And I have a, a a special song and music video that will be part of this. It's called Fun Size Trick or Treat. So I, I encourage you to be part of that community and go check it out because it's uh, it's a good time and uh until next time
3: prepare to die earth scum
1: We hope you
0: enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended.